In today's episode of Phone Calls with Clever People, we're having a conversation about rhythm. In his soon to be released book, The Rhythm Effect, Paul Farina says it's not just about how hard you work, but about how well you synchronize. I was excited to give him a call and unpack what that means practically and how as leaders, we can create, foster and accelerate momentum in a time where rhythm is very much disrupted. Hi everyone and welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. My name's Shane Hatton. I'm a speaker, author and mentor from Melbourne, Australia and I'm passionate about all things leadership and communication. I realized recently that I know some really clever people in my network and I thought it would be a fun idea to be able to take some of their cleverness and share it with the rest of the world. Now through the wonders of technology, I'm broadcasting my phone calls with clever people just for you. And really the premise is quite simple. I just want to be able to ask great questions of talented people to help us all become more effective leaders. I met our guest a couple of years ago. We kicked off a program together and we started on the same day. We were both newbies together and we connected on that day. And I knew from the moment we connected that we were going to be really good friends. Uh, not only is he really clever at what he does, but he's just a really great human. And so I was looking forward to having this conversation today. His name's Paul Farina and he's a speaker, he's a, a coach, he's a trainer. And he operates in this space of rhythm, which is going to be an interesting topic because it's not something that we've talked about on the show before. And it's not something you hear quite a lot of. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with him right now. Paul Farina, welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. Are you there? Good morning, Shane. Hi. Good to be with you. Mate, I've been looking forward to this phone call because I've been watching some of the content you're putting out there about your book and about um, some of the writing that you've been doing. And we catch up um, semi-regularly and we, we I get to have a little bit of a sneak peek behind the curtain of what's been happening. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to having that conversation. But one of the things that we always like to do when we start off the show is we want to talk um, some fast facts and it's a little chance for people to get to know you a little bit better. And so um, three quick questions. Where did you grow up? What was your first job? And then what are you doing with yourself now? Okay, right. So I grew up in a nice little humble place in the Adelaide Hills called Crafers. Uh Very cold, very wet, a bit like Melbourne, really. <laughs> um, and... Uh, Basically, it was a great place to grow up, even if uh, back in the day when you're a teenager, you think it's a little bit uh, boring, if anything else. But actually, I look back, it's just the most beautiful place in the world. Lots of fresh air and uh, lots of opportunities to go out and play as well. So that's how I grew up. My first job was stacking shelves at the local supermarket, um, which uh, I think can be underplayed as uh, just something that you do while you're in school and while you're studying. But actually... It was a wonderful experience that I look back on fondly as well, where you just learn camaraderie and discipline, and and um, and and it was just that we just had a lot of fun uh, while we were doing it as well. So that was my first job. My first real job was as a naturopath. I, my my first trade was uh, to study naturopathic medicine and sports therapy as well, because I was a sports person. Um, as yeah, I, I hear word on the street is that you were quite an athlete, Paul. Uh, well, I don't know about that. Uh, I think I was probably more known for just pure grit and hard work. But right. um, 
I played. I love soccer. Soccer was my sport. Um, I'm a passionate Liverpool fan. Uh, I love my footy. I'm a passionate Port Adelaide fan. Um, but back to the point. I played volleyball. I was. I was. I went to a high school which was a special interest volleyball. I had a special interest volleyball program, and uh, I played at national uh, level there, and I also coached at national level there as well, and um, and also played cricket. And actually, out of all of them. Cricket was the one that I ended up being uh, pretty decent at, and then I ended up playing some professional cricket later in my life. So uh, that, they were they were sort of my first real jobs. Firstly, as a, a practitioner in in the health industry, and then as a as a professional cricketer, mm. and um, and then that, that led me to spending ten years of my life over in the UK where I played cricket, and then went on to fundamentally start my corporate career. And uh, over that ten year period, uh, I've worked through uh, various industries from uh, smaller businesses to national businesses to global mm. businesses and uh, worked my way to a, to a position of regional manager, which brought me back to Australia about eight years ago now, wow. which is crazy because I kind of still feel like I'm new here. <laughs> um, so, and, and over the last five or so years, um, I decided to follow my passion in coaching and, and education fundamentally because I, I felt as a manager, that was my natural way of working. I always naturally coached people. I used a lot of my experience in the sporting industry uh, to develop others as, as a manager, to, to build succession plans, these sorts of things. And they were just ways of working that came naturally to me. So mm. in the corporate world, I, I couldn't find my niche to actually do education full-time. So it was about five years ago I decided to go out and do it uh, on my own. And since then I've been doing a whole range of management training for different organisations, uh, facilitation and uh, strategic facilitation and one-on-one coaching and mentoring as well. So that, that fills my, uh, my, my schedule these days. And uh, like you say, over the last couple of years while I've been researching high performance, which is kind of my background and where I wanted to spend most of my time, uh, I, I've, I started looking into this and I was, I was delivering a lot of training around it, but I just felt like it was a little bit, what's the word? It, it would, it, 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 I felt that there wasn't a practicality there. Oh, it wasn't mm. me in a sense. I, I felt that there was something else. So I reflected in my own life, when was I at my best? When was it that I performed my best? When was it that I led teams that just sung? Mm. And everything, not only did everything go well, we got good results, but it kind of came easy and I found myself with a big smile on my face during mm. those times. And when I start to reflect on all of those experiences from back in the day of being a sports therapist to being a cricketer to then being in these various corporate roles, that's where I started to reflect on this idea of being in flow and being in rhythm. And mm. that's what I've spent the last couple of years now delving into, researching. Mm. And as you say, now I'm, I'm writing a book on that and delivering programs in it as well. 
Rather, I, that's such a good setup for the conversation we're going to have today. And it does make me wonder, based on your sporting background, how we became good friends. Because I sit on the opposite end of that spectrum to you. I am not in any way athletic, athletically inclined. But yet we connect. <laughs> we obviously connect over the cleverness that you have and some of the expertise that you have. And it, it doesn't really surprise me that you found yourself in this space now that you're in, in this area of rhythm. Just hearing your background in terms of sports, how it comes together, high-performing teams, how that comes together, finding flow. I I mean, high performance, flow, these are things we've heard about, but we probably haven't heard a lot about rhythm. And mm. I thought it would be a nice place to start to talk about what rhythm is. Like, what, do you, what are you finding and why choose the word rhythm? Yeah, so I think where I started out was looking at this term in sport, we use it quite a lot. And some people may have heard it in, in various walks of life, being in the zone, mm. the idea of being in the zone. And it's just this place where we find ourselves being highly engaged, uh, we are super productive and time just flies. Mm. Yet in that time where we, we get a lot done. And I think we've all experienced this in, in some way or another, whether it's writing, doing something creative, maybe it's cooking, well, whatever you do in your daily life where you just feel at one with what you're doing. And, you know, from Ed and Sender to, to, to modern-day F1 drivers, they will, they will say this quite a lot. I felt like I was in the zone. I felt like I was a part of the car and mm. that, that I was in this, this space that's almost between, um, you know, sort of heaven and earth. Mm. And so it's, it's this experience of fundamentally being highly engaged and so when we, when we look at this, there's been a lot of uh, research done on flow in the last decade or so, and, uh, and, and this idea that even uh, being in flow is actually super productive. So McKinsey did a 10-year study that basically found out that when we are in these times of being in the zone or being in flow, we are actually five times more productive mm. than usual. And if we spent 15 to 25% more of our time in these sorts of zones, uh, we would double our productivity yeah, as wow. individuals. And then it got me thinking, what happens if we then do this as a team or an organisation because it becomes exponential? So the idea of rhythm then came to me that, well, what I find is that getting in the zone or getting into flow, there are some environmental factors on various things that we can do to help us get into these engaged areas of work. But it's kind of no point if it's fleeting. Mm. And, and, it's, and it, it didn't scratch the itch for me if we aren't able to repeat it. Because as we all know, it's, 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 we've all come across those people that maybe be able to produce a spike in results mm. and then they go as quick as they can. Yeah, But if we're going to actually build something of substance, the idea of being able to do it over and over and over and over again is really critical. Mm. And I think that there's a lot of good quality people out there and, and good quality work being done. But that continual work that's being done and, and the results that they keep on being produced, they're coming at the cost of hard work. And we're seeing a lot of uh, research these days in – mental health being being a real struggle for a lot of professionals um yeah. physically uh we um we've got uh you know the health of of our adrenals we're running on adrenaline all the time and that's taking its toll too so there's got to be a better way 
of getting this consistent performance. Mm. So if we can get ourselves into flow and we can make that repeatable, I think that that's a really interesting topic. And it means that fundamentally we can get this high performance without having to expend or overexpend effort. So the currency that I tend to deal in is this currency of effort, yeah. the return on effort that we get. It's all well and good to be able to get the result, but if it's at the expense of huge resource to the company, huge resource to the client, or huge resource to us as humans, then that's not really a great equation as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Um, I mean, I experienced this firsthand myself. I saw my father who was a builder. He was a self-made man as an Italian immigrant, and uh, in Adelaide, uh, the Italians were the ones that were the builders as as is in, in a few Australian capital cities. And so he came over in the 50s with nothing and he built his career as a builder and built his own building company, which my brother now has taken over and it's a family business and he's done really, really well. But when I was in my senior high school years, I saw my dad go through something at the time in the late 90s called uh, the Yuppie Syndrome. I don't know if you heard of that back in the day. But it then became an actual syndrome called chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm. And so fundamentally what that is, is it's the body saying, I can't do this anymore. Mm. I can't get up. I can't get out of bed anymore. So I saw my dad not be able to get out of bed for six months. And one of the main reasons was he was just a hard, hard worker doing everything that modern society tells us is a good virtue, go mm. out and work hard. He did all that, was a wonderful father, and he he provided really well for us, but he did it at this human cost. Yeah, that's and such an again, interesting I, insight around that, the cost of, um, of that effort. And I think yeah. you touched on it really nicely in terms of there is so much uh, in our world at the moment that is a hustle culture, a make it happen culture, it's do the work mm. culture. I've got people mm. I know that work all hours of the night and it's, it's almost like a currency if I do more work then I'm doing good work. And I think what mm. I'm hearing you say, it's not about just doing more work, it's about doing the right work. Is that kind of what you're yeah. saying? Absolutely. And the point is, is that we can, we can grind and we can, we can just go for it mm. and hustle, as you say, to get the result. But that's not flow. Mm. Actually, flow is the opposite. It's a combination of psychological, physiological, sociological, chronological and environmental <laughs> factors. And as leaders, we can actually set that up for our teams and for ourselves as well. Mm. But the point is, is that when you when you look at rhythm, I, I had a chat with a local music teacher about what their definition of rhythm was, because obviously rhythm does associate with music as yeah. well. And it was really interesting. The first thing they gave me as they're in music, the uh, definition of rhythm is a, it's a succession of strong and weak elements. Mm a succession of strong and weak. So this idea that we need to power forward continually, be consistently on the up, be consistently on the go, mm. that is not flow. That yeah. is not rhythm. You need to have the up and the down, and you need to be able to get this nice flow between them. That's Twitter worthy, Paul Farina. That's a that, mm. that'll tweet. That'll definitely tweet. I love that thought because I think I read an article a few years ago that talked about the idea of the conspicuous consumption um, 
of uh, of time where we talked about what used we used to have was the conspicuous consumption of money which is we wanted to show other people how much money we had uh, mm. whereas what we're seeing now is we want to show people our time and the the value of our time and so they've almost treated this sense of if we have less time available that our time is more valuable and it's that sense of if 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 you can't get hold of me it's because i'm working really hard and that must mm. mean i'm really important and i'm really valuable yeah. And you're saying like, if we can do the right work and find ourselves in that state of kind of flow and rhythm, it's not just about working ourselves into the ground. It's about actually being able to do the the work that has high return on on effort. Um, and more than that, as a leader, doing that for your team as well. Um, I'm mindful of our time because I, I, I think yes. that's a really nice framework in terms of talking about what rhythm is all about. And the tagline for your book is obviously it's not just about how hard you work, but how well you synchronize. Um, mm. And when you hear that, you think, well, does that exclude hard work? And I think you've really just hit the nail on the head there in terms of it's not saying you don't work hard. It's about doing the right work. Um, and again, as a leader, now the responsibility becomes how do I build this in my team? And yep. when yep. let's can we, can we get really practical? Because I think one of the things about this is that you really you've got a really practical mind on you. Um, mm. how, what is what do we, what does this look like? Because obviously at the moment um, we've had a lot of disruption to rhythm um, in the current climate that we're in. Um, and so for many people, they may have lost it or maybe for many people, they're trying to find it themselves. Can you talk us through some real practical advice on what we can do to find this sense of rhythm and how we can create that in our teams? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's. Actually, you touch on something really important there as well, because when I talk to people about rhythm, it is a very conceptual mm. thing. It's quite—it's actually quite mystical. And and yep. and when I started studying this, I couldn't find anything on it. Yeah, no, no one's written a book on this because it's 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 this thing that maybe if you're people like me in sport, it's something that you 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 feel you've you've felt before. If you're a musician, it's, it's obviously a part of what you're taught. Mm. But when it comes to performance, how how do we do this? And for me, always through my um, my career, I was always the practical guy. I was always a nuts and bolts guy. Mm. So I really wanted to ground this topic into practical things, tangible things that people can go out and do immediately straight away. So the way that I've boiled it down is to in three main building blocks, three main pillars of, you know, what is rhythm? How do you actually go about getting it into your life? Now, it's not sexy, <laughs> and it's not, it's not. Paul, you can you make know, rhythm and, sexy. You can do it. It's, uh, it's, 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 it, and this is, as you said before, this is where the hard work is. So the first thing, the first pillar is that we need to have the technical skills of the work we do. And this is where I just take, I just depress the ego out of the room and have a very real conversation with whoever I'm talking to or, or, or coaching or whatever the case may be, and we boil it down to what are the unique technical skills mm. that you need to be able to do excellently, consistently, constantly to be able to bring in your goals, your targets, and whatever winning is for you at the moment. So we've gone through this mm. huge disruption at the moment, and there is a different skill set that professionals are needing to understand, and that's where the scramble's been. Yeah. But have, have, have we actually written out a list of what we do well at the moment, what we execute well at the moment, and what we do not? So that's from a professional point of view. From a leadership point of view, also, there's what I call the universal leadership toolbox, which are fundamentally a bunch of processes that I've been 
training into organisations over the last five or so years, some of them would be considered things to do with relationship management or self-management or Mm. emotional intelligence. I feel like they are really technical skills. They're things that everyone can learn. The application of them then takes uh, emotional intelligence Mm. and, and those sorts of skills as well. But the first one is those technical skills. The second pillar is the analytical proficiencies. Mm. So that's being that is actually being able to ask the questions and being able to align ourselves, our people, and our entire organization within what the mission is and boil that down right to the moments mm. that happen every single day. So take once again the conceptual and relate it to the practical. Sounds simple. Really mm. difficult. Well, I like know, one of the things you are, said. These are robust conversations. Yeah, one of the things you said to me when we were having a conversation the other day is you said technical might mean practical, but it doesn't mean easy. Um, no. And and I I love that because it's true. And and often at times we often will go to the softer skills and and obviously as someone that that works a lot with leaders and communication, it gets often labelled as a soft skill. And we we say okay, yes, there's te- we want to help technical um, people with lots of technical expertise. We want to help them step into leadership, mm. but in, in as much um, technical skills are, are still really critical for leadership, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. So it, it could be a matter of having a solid, robust system mm. for running a meeting. Now, we don't want to have to think and reinvent the rule every time we run a meeting, every mm. time we chair a meeting. Yet uh, there's not one organisation I haven't gone into in the last five years where I could actually have that conversation around how do you run your meetings and they don't simply have it written down or they don't have a process they can just recall Mm. off the top of their head straight away without thinking. Once again, to get into engagement, to get in the flow, to get in the rhythm, we need to be able to execute these things automatically, almost automatically. So, yeah, that would be one example. It might be having a feedback process that works for you, Mm. having time management skills that work for your workplace. Being able to delegate is is a huge topic that, once again, is a massive uh, opportunity for a lot of leaders. Having a conflict resolution process that you can execute informally on a daily basis. Mm. Yeah, these sorts of things. These are the – and there's about – 15 of them that I would put into that universal leadership toolbox. Um, And then once again, being able to have those conversations with uh, mentors, colleagues, and then subordinates about what are the technical skills of our industry. Mm. And then what are the ones that we're doing well? What are the ones we're not? And then what are we going to do about it? Now, everybody listening to this today could make that list immediately this morning Mm. before 9.15 and start putting things into action. And before we get carried away, because there's a technical, there's the analytical, and then there's the social, which brings all this alive Mm. and speaks to those emotional intelligence sort of competencies. Before we get carried away with that stuff, let's get, and and that's what the technical is. The technical is the cornerstone to what I call the performance base. Mm. If, If you're a golfer, don't worry about the mind game, because they say golf is played between, between the years. You've got to get your setup right. Mm. You've got to be able to hold the club right first. You've got to be able to have a balanced stance. 
So these are these are really important to get mm. right before we start working on the mental side of what we're doing as a leader. Yeah, and it's kind of what you're saying. It's not one without the other. It's not um, technical skills at the expense of the social skills or the analytical mm. skills. All these, these things are working together really nicely, but the technical skills play a really important part in all of this. And you gave me an example the other day of um, when we were chatting about a person who is, um, you know, relatively new to a role and mm. what's going through their head. Do you want to kind of unpack that a bit? Yeah, so we've all been in that scenario where uh, you start a new job and let's face it, the first six months is usually going to be the toughest, whether you're in a professional role or, or if you're in a leadership role. And if you're um, thinking about, well, what should I do? What's the first thing I should do? Well, the, well ultimately, the reason why you're going to struggle in those first few months there's been research done on this that fundamentally, if you hire a salesperson from another organization, they will probably take anywhere between six months to 12 months to be able to perform at the level that they were performing at before. Why is that? Because they need to learn how things work in this place. Mm. They need to build the confidence. They need to build the relationships, these sorts of things. So usually they'll start off in that survival mode, which yeah. I think everyone can relate to over the last couple of months. The graduation is then getting to exist a mode and then follow a mode. And that is the first thing that I would encourage anybody in a new role to do is to fundamentally follow the elephants in front of you. Mm. Listen to, to, to what are those technical skills they really need to get hold of, what are the things they need to implement and work those things really hard. Once again, we're going to be working hard, but what it's going to get to is get us to a place where we go from learning we build it into our practice and then we become autonomous mm. in what we're doing. I think that's the, the gold ticket for a lot of us. And if you're thinking as a leader, what's the, what's the one thing that you want more in your team? It's usually more autonomy in your people. Now, once we, we reach autonomy, it puts us on a path to mastery. Mm. So we're, when we're able to then do this, What's the end result? The end result is, number one, we're finding ourselves in that zone more often. Mm. Number two, we are actually feeling progress. We're seeing progress. We're able to display progress. So two things come from this. One, I'm getting more confident, mm. which is huge because what's the antithesis of rhythm? It's doubt. Mm. It's friction. It's you know becoming demotivated off the back of these things. You know, and then I'm not able to respond to a rapidly changing market. Mm. Yeah, that's really nice. And I'm, I'm mindful in terms of our time because I've only got a couple of minutes left. Um, it just I goes so quickly. When you ask me about this. No, it's really, I mean, I love hearing the conversation that we're having, Paul, because I feel like this this idea of finding rhythm is all about, I think what you touched on, the return on effort is such a huge thing. Um, right now, we're finding new ways of kickstarting our rhythm again. And a lot of this is, um, it, it's very draining if we're not conscious of what helps us get into that state of flow. And when, one of the things you touched on early on is this idea of consistency rather than these glimpses of excellence we don't want to just have mm. moments mm. of excellence we want mm. to actually create consistent rhythms in our life so that we can feel like and again like the brain does when it creates new new neural pathways that was almost a tongue twister mm. um it's doing it because we want to reduce the amount of effort that it requires for us to be able to execute a task and the same in our working if we Spot can on. get really clear on what are the technical elements right now um, that I can start to create an automated process, for example, 
example, how to run a meeting, how to give feedbacks really clear means we don't expend unnecessary energy doing things that are really technical proficiencies in our role. Is that yeah. kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, and you know what? The the beautiful thing about that is you can say to yourself, you know what, that sounds boring. I want to do the exciting <laughs> stuff. But you know what? You know what mastery is? Mastery is boredom. Right. Being able to execute something with your eyes shut, it becomes boring because you're so good at it. Oh, mastery is and boredom. That's, that's another tweet-worthy uh, um, catchphrase, <laughs> Paul Farina. And, and that's that's what I like. That's how I see this. I see the technical, analytical, and the social as sort of a uh, a circular motion between them. And you work that motion, work it, work it, work it, work it, work it, until you hit that point of mastery, and things become boring. And guess what? That's that's your signal. That's your trigger mm. that you're ready for a new challenge. I love that, Paul Farina. Thank you so much for your time. Now your book is coming out in a couple of months. It's called The Rhythm Effect, um, that's right. and it's an absolutely. Um, I, I, there's so much more that we could talk about today that um, I'm sure people are going to get a whole lot more out of when they read the book. Um, and so there's a couple of things you can do. Number one, as always, reach out and connect with Paul on LinkedIn. Um, you can visit paulfarina.com.au. That's the one. And you can uh, jump onto his email list and find out about when the book comes out. Um, and you've been really generous um, in opening up some of your calendar to talk maybe one-on-one -on -one with some leaders about how they can better create this sense of synchronization and rhythm within their team through a coffee chat. So I'm going to put that uh, link to your calendar, which is really generous. So a huge thank you for doing that. Um, I'll put that link in the comments as well for anyone who wants to jump in and connect with you. So Paul, a huge thank you. Thanks, man. Enjoyed it. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.